Jesus, our Savior and Friend. The Book of Luke by John M. Fowler Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group Exploration 8 The Mission of Jesus The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, New King James Version. If we were to write a mission statement for Jesus, we could not do any better than to repeat his own words, to seek and to save that which was lost. But what was lost? It was humanity itself, which was alienated from God, subject to death, and filled with fear, disappointment, and despair. If nothing were done in our behalf, all would be lost. Thanks to Jesus, though, we all have great reasons to be hopeful. Ellen G. White, on page 20 of her small classic, Steps to Christ, describes humankind's predicament and God's solution. In the apostasy, man alienated himself from God. Earth was cut off from heaven. Across the gulf that lay between, there could be no communion. But through Christ, earth is again linked with heaven. With his own merits, Christ has bridged the gulf which sin had made. Christ connects fallen man in his weakness and helplessness with a source of infinite power. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a story of God seeking after lost humanity. Luke illustrates this truth by using three important parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In this exploration, we are going to discuss the details of those three poignant parables and discover what Jesus was wanting us to experience by seeing our life experiences in those stories. Lost Sheep and the Lost Coin. Let's listen to Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7 from the Amplified Bible. What does this tell you about God's love for you? Notice that it was the shepherd who went looking for the lost sheep. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. What man of you, if he has a hundred sheep and should lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, desert, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his own shoulders, rejoicing. And when he gets home, he summons together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep, which was lost. Thus I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one especially wicked person who repents, changes his mind, abhorring his errors and misdeeds, and determines to enter upon a better course of his life than over ninety-nine righteous persons who have no need of repentance. In a world that can appear uncaring and indifferent to us, this parable reveals a startling truth. God loves us so much that he himself will come after us 
in order to bring us to Him. We often talk about people seeking God. In reality, God is seeking us. The soul that has given himself to Christ is more precious in his sight than the whole world. The Savior would have passed through the agony of Calvary that one might be saved in his kingdom. He will never abandon one for whom he has died. Unless his followers choose to leave him, he will hold them fast. The words from Ellen G. White in her book, The Desire of Ages, page 483. Here is our second parable, from Luke 15, verses 8 and 9, also from the Amplified Bible. Or what woman, having ten silver drachmas, each one equal to a day's wages, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and look carefully and diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she summons her women friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the silver coin which I had lost. This parable is found only in Luke. The lost coin could have one of two meanings. First, Judea during the time of Jesus was full of poor people, and in most homes, one coin, drachma, could have been more than a day's wage, barely enough to keep the family from starving. Second, the coin was a mark of being married. Some women wore a headdress made up of ten coins, a huge sum saved over a long time in the case of poor families. In either case, the loss was a serious matter, so the woman utterly broken and in deep grief, lights a lamp. The house perhaps had no windows, or maybe only a small window, picks up a broom, and turns the house upside down until she finds that coin. Her soul is filled with overflowing joy, and the overflow floods to all her friends. The coin, though lying among dust and rubbish, is a piece of silver or gold still. Its owner seeks it because it is of value. So every soul, however degraded by sin, is in God's sight accounted precious. As the coin bears the image and subscription of the reigning power, so man at his creation bore the image and subscription of God. And though now marred and dim through the influence of sin, the traces of this inscription remain upon every soul. The words of Ellen G. White in her book, Christ's Object Lessons, page 194. So much of modern science and philosophy tells us that we are nothing but chance creations in a meaningless universe that does not care at all about our fate or us. What completely different worldview is presented in these two parables? The Parable of the Lost Son, Part 1 And he said, There was a certain man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the part of property that falls to me. And he divided the estate between them. And not many days after that, 
the younger son gathered up all that he had and, and journeyed into a distant country. And there he wasted his fortune in reckless and loose from restraint living. And when he had spent all he had, a mighty famine came up upon that country, and he began to fall behind and be in want. So he went and forced, glued himself upon one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed hogs. And he would gladly have fed on and filled his belly with the carob pods that the hogs were eating. But they could not satisfy his hunger, and nobody gave him anything better. Then when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have enough food, and even food to spare? But I am perishing, dying here of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and came to his own father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I no longer deserve to be recognized as a son of yours. But the father said to his bondservants, Bring quickly the best robe, the festive robe of honor, and put it on him, and give him a ring for his hand, and sandals for his feet, and bring out that wheat-fattened calf, and kill it, and let us revel, and feast, and be happy, and make merry, because this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to revel, and feast, and make merry. But his older son was in the field, and as he returned and came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And having called one of the servant boys to him, he began to ask what, what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed that wheat-fattened calf, because he received him back safe and well. But the elder brother was angry with a deep-seated wrath, and resolved not to go in. Then his father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never gave me so much as a little kid, that I might revel and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived, who has devoured your estate with immoral women, you have killed for him that wheat-fattened calf? And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to make merry, to revel and feast and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Hailed in history as the most beautiful short story ever told on the forgiving nature of love, the parable of the prodigal son that we just heard is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Only narrated by Luke, it may well be called the parable of the loving father 
and the two lost sons. One son chose the lawlessness of the distant land over the love of the father. The other son chose to stay in the home, but did not know the love of the father or the meaning of a brother. The parable may be studied in seven parts, four dealing with the prodigal, two with the father, and one with the elder brother. 1. Give me. Luke chapter 15, verse 12. The younger son's decision to demand of his father his portion of the property was no sudden impulsive urge. Sin often results after a long time of brooding over misplaced priorities. 2. The younger son must have heard from friends about the glitter and glamour of distant lands. Life at home was too rigid. Love was there, but it had its own boundaries. The distant land offered him life without restrictions. The father was too protective, his love too embracing. The son wanted freedom, and in the quest for unhindered freedom was the seed of rebellion. 3. Why me? Luke chapter 15, verses 13 through 16. The son cashed in his entire share and set off to the far country. The far country is a place far away from the father's home. Love's caring eyes, law's protective fence, grace's ever-present embrace are foreign to the far country. It is a distant land of riotous living. Luke chapter 15, verse 13. The Greek word for riotous, esotos, appears three other times as a noun in the New Testament. For drunkenness, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Rebelliousness, Titus chapter 1, verse 6. These elders should be men who are of unquestionable integrity and are irreproachable, the husband of but one wife, whose children are well-trained and are believers, not open to the accusation of being loose in morals and conduct, or unruly and disorderly. Debauchery that includes lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, and drinking parties. And abominable idolatries. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, New King James Version. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Such pleasures of godless living wasted away the prodigal son's health and wealth, and soon he became moneyless, friendless, and foodless. His glittering life wound up in a gutter, starved to the point of being in perpetual want. He found employment in caring for the pigs, a harsh fate for a Jew. Number 3. Make Me Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. But even the prodigal is still a son, with the power of choice to turn around. So the son came to his senses 
and remembered a place called home, a person known as father, a relational bind called love. He walked back home with a speech in his hand to plead with the father, make me, that is, make me whatever you want, but let me be within your watchful eyes, within the care of your love. What better home is there but the father's heart? The world can appear very alluring. What specific things of the world do you find yourself particularly tempted by? That you find yourself thinking, oh, that's not so bad, when deep down you know it is. Of the lost son. The parable may be studied in seven parts four dealing with the prodigal, two with the father, and one with the elder brother. Number four, the return home. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, was a journey of repentance. The journey began when he came to himself. Recognition of where he was in comparison with what his father's home was drove him to arise and go to his father. The prodigal son returns home with a four-part speech that defines the true meaning of repentance. First, there is an acknowledgment of the father as my father. Verse 18. The prodigal son now needs to lean upon and trust his father's love and forgiveness, just as we must learn to trust in our heavenly father's love and forgiveness. Second, confession. What the prodigal did is not an error of judgment, but a sin against God and his father. Verse 18. Third, contrition. I am no longer worthy. Verse 19. Recognition of one's unworthiness, in contrast to the worthiness of God, is essential for true repentance to take place. Fourth, petition. Make me. Verse 19. Surrender to whatever God wills is the destination of repentance. The Son has come home. Number five. The Waiting Father. Luke chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. The wait and the vigil, the grief and the hope began at the moment the prodigal son stepped out of the home. The wait was over when the father saw him a great way off and then had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Verse 20. No other image captures the character of God as that of the waiting father. Number six, the rejoicing family. Luke chapter 15, verses 22 through 25. The father embraced the son, clothed him with a new robe, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and ordered a feast. The family was in celebration. If leaving the home was death, the return was a resurrection and worthy of rejoicing. The son was indeed a prodigal, but nevertheless a son. And over every repentant son, there is joy in heaven. Verse 7. Number 7. 
the elder son. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. The younger son was lost when he stepped out of the home to go to a distant land. The older son was lost because, though he was home in the body, his heart was in a distant land. Such a heart is angry, verse 28, complaining and self-righteous, verse 29, and refuses to recognize a brother. Instead, it recognizes only a son of yours, a spendthrift without character, verse 30, New King James Version. The elder's son's attitude towards the father is the same of that of the Pharisees who accused Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 2, New King James Version. The father's final word with his elder son reflects heaven's attitude to all repentant sinners. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, and is found. Verse 32, New King James Version. Put yourself in the older brother's shoes. However wrong his thinking, why does it make so much sense that he should feel that way? How does this story reveal ways in which the gospel goes beyond what makes sense? Lost Opportunities Although Jesus came to seek and save those lost in sin, he never forces anyone to accept the salvation he offers. Salvation is free and available to all, but one must accept the free offer in faith, which results in a life in conformity with God's will. The only time we have for such an experience is while we live on earth. No other opportunity exists. Listen to Jesus' parable of the rich man and a poor man named Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. What is the main message of this parable? There was a certain rich man who habitually clothed himself in purple and fine linen and reveled and feasted and made merry in splendor every day. And at his gate there was carelessly dropped down and left a certain utterly destitute man named Lazarus, reduced to begging alms and covered with ulcerated sores. He eagerly desired to be satisfied with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs even came and, and licked his sores. And it occurred that the man, reduced to begging, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, the realm of the dead, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have pity and mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime fully received what is due you in comforts and delights, and Lazarus in like manner the discomforts and distresses. 
but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who want to pass from this place to you may not be able, and no one may pass from there to us. And the man said, Then, Father, I beseech you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may give solemn testimony and warn them, lest they too come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear and listen to them. But he answered, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, change their minds for the better, and heartily amend their ways with abhorrence of their past sins. He said to him, If they do not hear and listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded and convinced and believe, even if someone should rise from the dead. The parable is recorded only in Luke, and it teaches two great truths with respect to salvation. The importance of today in the process of salvation and the absence of another opportunity for salvation after death. Today is the day of salvation. The parable does not teach that there is something inherently evil in riches or something inescapably good in being poor. What it does teach is that the opportunity of being saved and living saved must not be missed while we are on this earth. Rich or poor, educated or illiterate, powerful or powerless, we have no second chance. All are saved and judged by their attitude today, now, to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 reiterates the importance of making that decision when Paul implores, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The parable also teaches that eternal reward has nothing to do with material possessions. The rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, but missed the essential of life, God. Where God is not recognized, fellow human beings are not noticed. The rich man's sin was not in his richness, but in his failure to recognize that God's family is broader than he was prepared to accept. The second inescapable truth that Jesus teaches here is that there is no second chance for salvation after death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, New King James Version, says very plainly, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Another point of this parable is to show people that we have been given enough evidence now in this life to make a conscious choice for or against God. Any theology that teaches some kind of second chance after death is a great deception. We love to talk about how much God loves us and all that he has done and is doing to save us. What does this parable teach us, though, about the danger of taking God's love and offer of salvation for granted?
was blind, but now I see. The mission statement of Jesus, that he came to seek and save that which was lost, is an affirmation of a holistic ministry. He came to make men and women whole, to transform them physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. Luke gives us two instances that illustrate how Jesus restored two broken men into wholeness. One was blind physically, the other spiritually. Both were outcasts, one a beggar and the other a tax collector, but both men were candidates for Christ's saving mission, and neither was beyond his heart or reach. We find the story of the beggar in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. As you listen, keep this question in mind. What does this story teach about our total dependence upon God? As Jesus came near to Jericho, it occurred that a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he asked what it meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he shouted, saying, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, take pity and have mercy on me. But those who were in front of him reproved him, telling him to keep quiet. Yet he screamed and shrieked so much the more, Son of David, take pity and have mercy on me. Then Jesus stood still and ordered that he be led to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith, your trust and confidence that spring from your faith in God has healed you. And instantly he received his sight and began to follow Jesus, recognizing, praising, and honoring God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. Have you ever cried out to God? Have mercy on me. Mark names the man as Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. He was a beggar outside of Jericho, physically challenged, socially of no consequence, and poverty-stricken. He suddenly found himself in the sweep of heaven's wonder. Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and his faith surged upward to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me! Faith requires neither eyes nor ears, neither feet nor hands, but only a heart that connects to the Creator of the world. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Who was the blind man in this story? And Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. And there was a man called Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was trying to see Jesus, which one he was, but he could not on account of the crowd, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So he hurried and, and came down, and he received him and welcomed him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all muttered among themselves and indignantly complained. He has gone in to be the guest of and lodge with a man who is devoted to sin and preeminently a sinner. So then Zacchaeus stood up and solemnly declared to the Lord, See, Lord, the half of my goods I now give by the way of restoration to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I now restore four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today is messianic and spiritual salvation come to all the members of this household. Since Zacchaeus too is a real spiritual son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Only Luke records the story of Zacchaeus, the last of Jesus' many encounters with outcasts. Christ's mission, to seek and save that which was lost, was gloriously fulfilled in this encounter with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was Jericho's chief tax collector, a chief sinner in the judgment of the city's Pharisees, but a chief sinner sought and saved by the Savior. What strange places and methods Jesus used to accomplish his mission. A sycamore tree, a curious man seeking to see who Jesus was, and a loving Lord commanding the man to come down, for he had a self-invited lunch appointment with him. But more important, Jesus had a delivery to make. Today, salvation has come to this house, but not before Zacchaeus made things right. It's easy to see other people's faults and shortcomings, isn't it? But we can so often be blind to our own. Friend, are there areas in your life that you need to face up to, confess, and get the victory over what you have been putting off for way too long? Let's continue exploring. By the lost sheep, Christ represents not only the individual sinner, but the one world that has apostatized and has been ruined by sin. Ellen G. White wrote those words in her book entitled Christ's Object Lessons, page 190. On page 196 of the same book, she said this about the value of one soul. The value of a soul, who can estimate? Would you know its worth? Go to Gethsemane and there watch with Christ through those hours of anguish when he sweat as it were great drops of blood. Look upon the Savior uplifted on the cross, at the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner Christ would have laid down his life, you may estimate the value of a soul. One of the most impressive aspects of Jesus' saving ministry is the equality 
with which he treated all people, such as the blind beggar, and Zacchaeus, or Nicodemus, and the Samaritan woman. The cross, more than anything else, shows the equality of all people before God. While all religions portray the human being in search for God, Christianity presents God as the seeker. After Adam and Eve had disobeyed God by eating of the forbidden fruit, they were trying to hide from God. And God calls to Adam, Adam, where are you? Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. After Cain had murdered his brother Abel, God asks Cain, where is your brother? Genesis 4, verse 9. After God had honored Elijah's sacrifice on Mount Carmel, Elijah had fled from Queen Jezebel. God finds Elijah exhausted and asks, What are you doing here? 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9 To the curious, up-in-a-tree tax collector Zacchaeus, Jesus stops, looks up, and says, Come down. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 what has been your own experience with God seeking you out? AmbassadorGroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.